All right, well, good morning. It is awesome to be with you guys and be able to worship together with you. And Terrence, thank you again for being here, man. Really awesome. Really awesome. We're honored to have you. You know, if you missed the beginning of the service, Terrence is the worship pastor at First Baptist. They are right around the corner from us, guys. I mean, talk about a natural partnership with these guys. They're a part of the Church United a collective of churches as well. And both of these guys, Ryan and Terrence, are part of Village Hymns. Village Hymns exists, okay, to see Christ-centered, vibrant worship do what? Fuel a revival in South Florida. I love that. I love that. And so it's great that we're, we participate in that, and it's wonderful uh, to see other guys, other worship leaders, other pastors joining together and joining ranks and to come together and tonight and today to bless us. And so really, really appreciate that. Uh, if you've been with us for the last couple of months, then you know that what we've been doing is we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, but we've been doing it alongside, as Will said, the book of Philippians. And man, they're different. So every week, week by week, we've been gathering up not like tiny little issues, not like these little minor things, not like things that we don't actually care about. I don't know. I mean, maybe it'd be kind of curious to see what the Bible would have to say about, but fundamental human issues, like things that are near and dear to my heart, things that are near and dear to your heart, things that have been near and dear to every person that's ever lived. And we've been taking them first to Solomon, king of Israel, son of David, The man to whom God came and said, look, ask one thing of me, anything you ask, and I will give it to you. What would you say? He doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for long life. He doesn't ask for power. He doesn't ask for all of the things that like deep down in our hearts, we sort of go, man, if I could just have that, he asks for wisdom and then God gives him all the rest. But he makes him the wisest man apart from Christ, at least arguably, who's ever lived. So we gather up these fundamental human issues and we walk them over to the wisest man and we say, here, what do you have to say about this? And like, and then when he's done, somebody breaks out the smelling salts and wakes us up because I mean, it's just, it knocks you over. It knocks you down. Like you hear what he has to say and you just like want to lay down and defeat. It's like, good grief, really? Give it back to me. And then we take it over to Philippians to the apostle Paul in the New Testament And we say, all right, what about you? Like, here's what Solomon had to say. What do you have to say? And again, man, is it different? And it's not different because they're in two different Bibles. No, they're in the same Bible. It's not different because they believe in two different gods. No, they believe in the same God. It's not different because they trust in two different saviors. No, they trust in the same savior. It's different because Solomon over here is saying, hey, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set my faith aside. And I'm going to answer your question from the perspective of somebody who does not believe in God, does not believe in heaven, does not believe in hell, does not believe in any kind of an afterlife, no rewards, no punishments, none of it. It's just life, death, burial, and then that's it. You die, you cease to exist. All right, give me your issues. Because I want to work it through with you. I want to give you God-given wisdom. He does that today with justice really with injustice. Notice what he says, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16. He says, moreover, I saw under the sun. What is he saying? He's saying, look, if all there is is what you can see with the physical eyes of your head under the sun that provides physical light and there's nothing beyond it, no God, no heaven, nothing transcendent, this is it. All right, well, I looked around. Here's what I saw. I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, in the place, in my city and in yours, he's saying, in my country and in yours, where you would most expect to find justice. 
He said, well, even there, there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there, there was wickedness. Where is the place that's all about justice in our city? Where is the place that's all about justice in our country and every country? That place is the court system. It is the system of justice. He's like, look, if you're looking for justice in a society, that's where you go, right? I mean, it's like if you're looking for milk in my house, you go to the refrigerator. And if it's not there, you're concerned, you know, like you look around on the counter. And if it's not there, you look in the kitchen, like, in the, is it there? And then if it's not there, then you look in the trash, like did somebody, you know, throw it away, like the empty container? And why don't these people recycle, you know? And, like, and then if it's not there, then you go to my son's room. And then you find it there. Actually, what you find is Arizona tea. He drinks that by the gallons right now. It's amazing. If you're looking for justice, where do you look for it? Look for it in the courts. That's the whole point. And I just want to say officially, like on the record, I think we have the greatest justice system in the world as Americans. And I know that maybe you're from a different country and you want to take issue with that. Look, in our country, you have the right to be wrong and that's fine. I served as an officer of the court. I was a lawyer for 10 years before I did this. And I hope that doesn't make you like just change the channel. But, but that's true. And I want to tell you, it was an overwhelmingly positive experience. I am so incredibly grateful, as should be all of you guys, for every person who works hard and with integrity in a noble cause, which is to provide our society with a justice system without which we would completely implode. Nothing would work. But even the people who have served with the highest level of nobility will come to you and go, well, I mean, you know, it's not perfect. It's the best the world has to offer, but it's, it's imperfect. What is Solomon saying? He's going, listen, as you reject the idea of God and you embrace the idea that there's nothing but life and death and burial, and then that's it. You cease to exist. There's no God. There's no judgment. There's no cosmic accountability to anything or to anyone. It's going to get worse, not better. And even in the place that you most expect to find it, you'll find something else. And man, you'll find injustice everywhere else as well. I mean, if you'll find it in the place you most expect it, you're for sure going to find it in your office or in your home or in your neighborhood or with your friends or in the world or in politics or wherever else you look. It's just, it's going to be rampant and it's going to get worse and worse. And the reason for that is obvious because guys... If all there is is life and death and burial and then I cease to exist or you cease to exist, what incentive does any of us have to live for anyone but ourselves? And when we're the person in power, we get to make the decision. Maybe because you're the boss or maybe you're the judge or maybe you're the salesperson or maybe you're the parent or whatever the case may be. When it comes time to make the decision, whose interests are you going to be most concerned about? Yours. Obviously. And so if it doesn't look like you're going to get caught and there really aren't going to be any repercussions in this life since you're not worried about any repercussions in the next life because in your belief system there is no next life, what are you going to do every time? Subvert justice if that's what it takes to do what's best for you. And what that does is it leaves everyone everywhere with this question and the question is, what are you going to do with injustice? What are you going to do with injustice when it's done to you? What are you going to do with the injustice that you do and the guilt that comes with it? 
What do you do with injustice done to people you know and love, people you don't know and love, but you look on the news and you see the suffering that is going on because of these injustices, and it's absolutely maddening. Like, what do you do? How do you process it? How do you feel? Like, what do you do with injustice? And if there's nothing but life and death and burial, and then that's it, you just cease to exist just like everybody else. You have three options, classically speaking. Like, history comes and goes, really bright people have thought about this. Here are your options. Option number one is called stoicism. It says that injustice and all of the suffering that comes with it is real, it's undeniable, and it's also unavoidable. I mean, it just, it just is what it is. So suck it up. Brush yourself off. Steal and harden yourself against it. Say that this will not affect you. This will not hurt you. This will not impact you when it happens to you. When you do it to somebody else, defend yourself. Ah, you know what? I've been through worse. You think I did bad to you. Let me tell you what this guy did. You know what I mean? Like, probably you deserved it. When you see it out in the world, instead of letting it get into your heart and into your soul, where it will affect you, where it will stir you up, where it will do harm to you, well, it will be like, what in the... No, no, no. Ignore it. Drive by it. Harden yourself against it. And in the process, what happens? You harden yourself against everything. You have to. You harden yourself against everyone. You lose your humanity as your heart turns to stone. So that's option number one. Option number two, existentialism. Says again that all injustice and all the suffering, okay, you know what? It's real. It's undeniable. It's unavoidable. Here's what you need to do. You don't need to harden yourself against it. It doesn't work. What you need to do is defy it. What you need to do is fight it. What you need to do is take a stand for what is right and fight against what is wrong. When you see injustice, go after it like a tiger shark, man. Like, be on it. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is that if there's no God, if there's no one who stands outside the whole of humanity and then to humanity with authority because he created us tells us what right and wrong is, you don't know what right and wrong is. So how do you know that you're right as you're taking up your fist and you're fighting on this side and the guy who thinks he's right, who's fighting against you, is wrong? Who decides? Remember years ago, I got invited to Fiji, which is a good place to get invited to go on a mission trip, and it was a mission trip. It was for evangelism explosion. John Sorensen, who's the president, said, hey, man, we're going to have all of our team from the South Pacific for like 45 people. We're going to have them for two weeks. So week one, we're going to train them. Week two, would you come in and just do like some theology training and communication stuff? And I'm like, man, yes, I get to go to Fiji. So I flew 16 hours or whatever it was to get to Fiji. It was crazy, and it was beautiful, and it was amazing. And I got to teach these sweet and precious, incredible people for seven days straight, like eight, 10 hours a day. And then we would hang out afterwards until 10, 11 o'clock at night. And then I'm not going to lie. And I told them, don't tell anybody about this. They would drive me then back to the resort on the beach that they put me up in, but it was less than a hundred dollars a night. And I didn't ask for it, but I did get two massages for $20 each. It was fantastic. It was so nice. But I'm talking with these incredible people. They're just eating up the Bible. I've never had a hungrier audience. These guys didn't even have study Bibles. 
Some of them didn't have the internet. I mean, this goes back a ways. But I'm, I'm talking to these people from all of these different islands and countries, and they're telling me about their heritage and about their countries and about all of these things. And one of the things one of them shared with me is that he goes like, yeah, like a generation or two generations ago, there was actually cannibalism on my island. Okay, stop there for a minute. Not long ago, one person would say, love your enemies. Another person would say, eat your enemies. Serious question, who's right? And how do you know? Like, who decides? So you're going to take up your cause and you're going to fight. And, you know, hopefully it's right, but it can't be. Because there is no right. There is no wrong if there is no God. And nothing and no one matters. Which leaves you with option number three, which is hedonism. So hedonism, like the other ones, agree that injustice and all the suffering that comes with it is real, undeniable, and unavoidable, okay? Harden yourself against it. It says, no, nah, that doesn't work. Fight against it. It's like, yeah, there's no standard of right and wrong. So hedonism says, here's what you need to do with it. You need to just drown it in pleasure. Just drown it in pleasure. Use pleasure as an anesthetic over the whole of your life. What's the problem with that? Well, there are many. I mean, and one is that it doesn't work, but... Another one is that it requires you to not think. Because if you begin to think and you just work it through the way that Solomon has worked it through week by week with all of us, you realize life, death, burial, I cease to exist. Okay, so here's the thing. Nothing and no one matters, including this person or this thing or this object or this whatever that I'm deriving pleasure from. In fact, I don't matter. And all that I'm experiencing with my pleasure is some kind of weird chemical reaction in my brain that is temporary and utterly meaningless. And that sort of sucks the joy out of it. All of a sudden, nothing tastes good. There is no pleasure. And yet that's the one that Solomon lands on, again, when he analyzes it from the perspective of somebody who goes, yeah, you die and then that's it. He says, all right, well, verse 22, he says, if there's nothing but that, I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. What's funny in a not humorous kind of way is that if you've been with us in this study, he's already taken work apart. (laughs) He's already said, hey, you know, your work, it doesn't matter. All that you get, none of that matters. If this is the world we're living in, nothing matters. So where does this brightest of philosopher land when it comes to the issue of judgment and what you do with it? Justice. It ends in despair, which incidentally is also where Plato ends. And I understand that Plato is not a biblical writer, but you need to understand that Plato is arguably, like Solomon, one of the wisest people that ever lived. And I don't think that's even in dispute. He's certainly in the top five. He also lived in between Solomon and the New Testament. And his writings gave the categories of thought, guys, that formulated the world into which the New Testament was born and in which it speaks and is written. Significant. And Plato was wise enough to know that justice was an issue. In fact, he wrote his greatest work, The Republic, all about justice. The question that he's answering in The Republic is, what is justice? And what he seeks to do is to find 
a man who's perfectly just. He says, I want to find the soul of a perfectly just man. And then he quickly abandons that. He says, no, a man is too small. I'm going to look for it in a city because a city is the expression of the soul of man. All of the ills of man are expressed in big ways in the city. All of the virtues of man are expressed in big ways in the city. It's easier to analyze. It's easier to see. And he says, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to found, I'm going to try to create a perfectly just city with words, with speech, or really, and here's the Greek word, and stay with me because the Greek word actually matters. I'm going to try to do this in logos, he says. And he gets all the way to the end of this brilliantly put together dialogue. And he says, all right, so here's where I land. Um, It is possible that a perfectly just city, that is the expression of the soul of a perfectly just man, okay, you can build it in speech, but it could never exist in reality. Not in this world. And then he says this, and it's fascinating. He says, but perhaps in heaven there is a pattern for the perfectly just city. In other words, he's saying perhaps in in heaven there is a perfectly just man with a perfectly just soul after whose soul a perfectly just city can be fashioned. But then he just leaves you with that. He's like, oh, well, if it exists at all, if he exists, he's in heaven. It's not going to do us a lot of good down here. And you come to the New Testament to people who knew this stuff, writing to people who knew this stuff. What does the Apostle John say? Opening line of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. Now, actually what it says is in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was where? He was with God. He is the heavenly Logos, John's saying. And the Logos, what was? What? Was God. He's saying Plato was right, guys. There is a perfectly just man with a perfectly just soul who in the book of Revelation, he says, a perfectly just city that expresses his soul, that is his people, will one day be built, if you will. Living stone by living stone. And the good news is he didn't stay there. He solves the dilemma in verse 14. He says, and the word, the heavenly logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. He came from heaven and entered into earth, which means that the answer to this question of what do we do with injustice is not forever locked away in heaven. It's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then he thinks about Jesus and he wonders over him and he says, oh, he says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And what is that glory? Well, one way of saying it is it's the gospel. I mean, think about the gospel for a minute. When you think about the gospel, you realize that it is the exact opposite of God looking down upon my life and your life at all the injustices that happen to us or then all the injustices that we ourselves do or on all the injustices that happen all around us all of the time and saying, eh, I don't really care. Eh, Whatever. It's the exact opposite of that. Instead, the gospel presents us with a God who is righteously, who is indignantly, who is perfectly and proportionately furious over injustice. And the reality is, that's what we want from God, isn't it? I mean, that's what's rising up within us. Heck, that's what causes so many of us to be resentful toward him. We look at all of the injustice in the world to say nothing of our own lives, and we're like, 
God, if you're out there somewhere, what's the deal? How can you handle that? Like, do you not care about this? You know, and the gospel answers all that. God's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I am righteously, perfectly, proportionately furious about that. And I'm not like you. I'm not bound by a watch. I don't have a time span of life that I got to get it all done in. Oh, I don't know if justice doesn't come for me in the next, you know, 10 years. I may never see it. Wait a minute, what? What does that God say? He says, vengeance is whose? Tom's? Is that his message to me? He comes to me and I'm like indignant about something. He's like, yeah, vengeance is yours. Why don't you take care of that? You better hurry up because, you know, who knows how many time, you know, how much time you've got left. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And guys, we are all about that. We're like, right on, except when it comes to us. <laughs> so if God is perfectly just, we've got a problem too, because we're not. But the gospel answers that as well, because it comes to us with a God who so loves unjust people like us, that he sends his son Jesus with the perfectly just soul who lives the perfectly just life, who is going to initiate and inaugurate a perfectly just people in the end. A people who look just like him, a world that expresses that. And what does God in Christ do? He says, my justice, my vengeance, my payment, I will repay is gonna happen. But instead of having it happen on you, I'm going to take it myself in him so that I can forgive you. So that instead of pouring out my wrath on you, I will pour out my love on you. So what do we do with our injustice? By faith in Jesus, we bring it to God. Faith in the one who has taken justice for us. We say, Lord, you know what's happened. Lord, you know what's happening. I will entrust you with it and listen for what you want me to do. We'll get to that because really that's the next question. It's, it's the one also that brings us to Philippians. And the question is, how do I live in regard to justice between now and the day that God finally, fully and perfectly to everyone's satisfaction (laughs) brings it. And Paul answers that in a general way which is really pretty much all that he can do if you think about it. It's not like he can sit down with everybody and go, all right, so tell me about the particulars of your situation. Okay, you know, I see, yeah, that's kind of an interesting dynamic. Okay, here's specifically how you should behave. Instead, he comes to us and says, listen, I want to to talk to you about the mind I want you to have. I want to talk to you about the heart that I want you to have. I want to show you the example. And then I want you to work out the particulars by the power of the Holy Spirit and obedience and in conformity to my word and in community with my people. You'll figure it out. I'll lead you on the journey. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Only the Christian can have this mind. Only one who has been transformed by what Paul is about to describe, by what Jesus did for us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, refused to use that most exalted of identities to gather and gather and take and take and get and get. But instead, within the security of that identity, not needing to prove anything to anyone, not needing to show off, not needing to get and gather, 
He used that identity to give and give and give and give. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He, the master of all, the man from heaven with the perfectly just soul, humbled himself to become the servant of all. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to pay the penalty for all of our injustices. And here's why. Because he knew that it's not just life and death and burial. And then that's it. You cease to exist. It's game over. And that's all there is. No, guys, he goes to the cross for the joy set before him. What is the joy? It It is that there is life and there is death and there is burial. And then there is resurrection. The joy is you. And there's not just resurrection for him. That's what's promised for us. And what that should do then is it should allow us, first of all, to entrust judgment for the injustices done to us and for the injustices done for us and to the injustices done through us and around us to God. And then, like Jesus, it should allow us from that secure identity of I'm a child of God, I've got nothing to prove to anybody. There isn't anything that you can take from me that he won't give back, including my life. I have everything in him. I need nothing else. Like, from that position, it should enable us and allow us to humble ourselves and to become servants to the oppressed. And at times, even to the oppressors. Jesus served both. It's remarkable which far from robbing you of your humanity because you've hardened yourself and just become a rock, will actually help perfect your humanity as you enter into the suffering of other people, really and truly and deeply, meaningfully and passionately. Far from robbing you of the ability to fight for things that are authentically right and oppose things that are authentically wrong, it gives you the standard by which to define each. And it comes from the one who alone has authority comes from the one who alone knows what right and wrong is and far from stealing your joy by telling you that nothing and no one matters if God exists if heaven if hell if rewards if punishments if it's not life death burial and that's it but it's life death burial and resurrection unto eternal life if in fact that is the case then everything we do matters everything we have matters and everyone everywhere matters so entrust injustice to God. And then ask this question, how can I humble myself and empty myself? What are the specifics of that? What are the particulars of that? What does that look like right now in my life towards the oppressed? And then do it. Then do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you did not leave us just with Ecclesiastes. God, but you have given us Philippians and so much more. It is not life and then death and then burial and then that is it. There is a risen Savior who in a risen body has proclaimed the reality of God, of heaven, of hell, of life everlasting. And every one of the writers of the New Testament suffered immensely. Many of them died defending a risen Jesus that we might with the whole of our lives 
believe in him. God, we praise you for your justice and we ask that you would bring it. Like the Apostle John, we say, come Lord Jesus. We need you. But we thank you for your love and for your grace. For the free offer of eternal life that is ours in Jesus. For the one who took your fury for our injustices and misdeeds so that we might know you in a loving relationship for forever. God, we praise you for what you have done in Christ. Let his mind be ours. And pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.